Hello everyone, welcome back to Morgan Hasn't Seen <laughs> for another vampire movie. Or really, more appropriately, half a vampire movie. And half not a vampire movie. <laughs> because we're dealing here with a movie that takes a pretty radical turn halfway yeah. through. Rather famously so, or infamously so, depending on who you ask. Although it's equally entertaining. Whatever movie, whatever type of movie you want to primarily think of this as, I think it's great. I'm looking forward to talking about this today. It's from dusk till dawn, Janine. Some would ask how it has taken me so long to watch something like From Dusk Till Dawn, but we're going to say that really. With, with everything in this series of Morgan hasn't seen, because all the vampire movies, and let's not forget the vampire movie, the one vampire movie we talked about in last month's Decades of Horror series, was also a big-name vampire movie. Yeah. You know, last week we started with Salem's Lot, a big-name vampire movie. We have two other big-name vampire movies coming up <laughs> over the course of October. So I don't know if that's even a redundant thing to say on this, the second episode of the series, because they're, they're all like that, aren't they? They all come with that mentality. Well, yes, and even in this case, there are two of these films that I was not you know, I was familiar with, yes, but hadn't seen either. So we were working with a bit of a, a Janine hasn't seen uh, situation as well. So um, not as well versed in vampires as I, I, I thought I was. But there are some big ones, definitely, <laughs> that yeah. you, you've missed. Um, I mean, in general, are you pretty well versed on Robert Rodriguez films? Um, no, actually. And I'm I'm surprised at that. Because I've always kind of been well aware of them, well aware of his ongoing or, or at least continued partnership with Tarantino in, in some uh, formats, which if I'm right in saying... No, it did. It wouldn't have started with this movie, actually, would it? It would have started with Full Rooms. Did they not do... Did they they both, both had... Do a bit of work they, on that? Yeah. They both had their own little vignettes in that film. Um, I think they're best friends, so they do have these little deals with each other. So in Sin City, you know, Quentin Tarantino filmed a segment of that for a dollar. Yeah. Um, and then he had um, Robert Rodriguez compose some music for one of his films, I believe, for a dollar. So it was kind of like this little deal that they had made with each other. And they obviously did. They obviously did the whole grindhouse thing, death yes, and planet yes. terror together. Yeah. That was very much mutual. Um, and then, of course, you know, way back, I suppose, much earlier in both of their careers, in 1996, they combined for From Dusk Till Dawn, directed by Robert Rodriguez, but starring and, and written by Tarantino. Um, yeah. I mean, you almost question why Tarantino would want to... I mean, you can start by questioning why Tarantino would write all this script down and, and have the character of Richie Gecko 
be the be who he is, be as detestable a creature yeah. <laughs> as he is in this movie, and then and then cast himself in that role because he didn't need to cast him. You know, they didn't need no. to no, um, and and it, it it could have been many many other people. Yet yet Tarantino writes all this and then goes, uh, "What if I do it, Robert? What if I, I do, do it? A we know very exactly good job. why. Yeah, we know exactly why, don't we? It's because deep down, Tarantino just wanted Salma Hayek's feet. Yes, and then there's very there's some shots very much close up of of uh, Juliette Lewis's feet. Um, and just some, also some just very kind of weird advances to that character being, you know, an underage character and all of that. Just, um, you know, we have Cheech kind of looking at her when she's on the toilet and like taking his time closing the door right. and things like, like these lingering scenes with her that are just like, eh. I mean, you have you to know? assume, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I say you have to assume it will be the case that you know Juliet Lewis was perfectly comfortable doing all this. Juliet Lewis well, and Tarantino yeah. were pretty close friends and colleagues. Yes, because didn't he write um, um, Natural Born killers. killers? Yes, um, yeah. and I mean, I, she seems very comfortable with this type of of. of behavior as i think you know there was very much a similar thing happening in cape fear um as well oh, so yes definitely <laughs> so she just I, I guess does not mind this kind of a uh, older man leering <laughs> thing happening a lot with of her characters. yes there is um, a lot of leering and and tarantino does yes come across as really creepy <laughs> Well, yes, especially since, you know, re comments he'd made in the past have kind of come to light in terms of, you know, this Howard Stern interview where he was very much defending Roman Polanski and saying that the, yes. like, 13-year-old girl was down with whatever he was doing and she was okay with it and, like, you know. There's 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 an unusual side to Tarantino, isn't there? I don't, I don't necessarily think, <laughs> and I would certainly hope it, it isn't the case that there's a genuine kind of bigger picture creepiness. Yeah, like living out some kind of desire that he can't live out in reality. No, type what energy? I, <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, of... maybe you know, maybe that's what he's doing rather than actually going yes, through with it. Yes, yes. Which you... is kind of like, well, okay, if, you know, okay, because this is at least above board and has legal precedence surrounding <laughs> yes. it so you know whatever yeah. so it He's does lean into guy. some very weird things with this character and you have to think that you know he obviously wanted to play this character the way he played he it did. so so it has it has you wondering a little bit as as the as to the whys but <laughs> we'll get into all of that but um first we do have to uh, do something we have to say a huge thank you to all of our it's a wonderful podcast patrons we love to do that on one episode of our shows during the week just to shout them out and give love to them and say thanks for all of their support yes and if you would like to join all these wonderful people on our patreon go to patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one find the tier 
that is right for you. Uh, there is a link in the description of this episode as well, because everybody gets, at the very least, a big thank you every single week as we start by saying thank you to Marie Zambino. And thank you, Adam Witt. Thank you to Michael Smith. Thank you, Amber Coates. Thank you, Abby Friel. Thank you, Ferris Muthana. Thank you to Janine's Big Brother Justin 90s Comics Box. Thank you, Video Drew. Thank you, Tina Farrow. Thank you, Marcus Burton. Thank you to Steve, Movie Fenobi. Thank you, Samir Tesfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you, Carla Fies. Thank you to Delisha Butler. Thank you to the great Ken Knapsack. Thank you to Tom and Kimber of the Odd Shape Channel. Thank you, Eric Garcia. And thank you, of course, to Billy Pollahan. Yes, applause for the patrons, Janine, and Yay. applause for the movie, of course. Let's not get hung up on Tarantino and his fetishes. <laughs> yes, um, please. Because they're very <laughs> obvious. Let's, I mean, let's call it what it is. He literally does put them in every single one of his movies. So yes, he's, and he's he not asks, hiding anything, is yes, he? Yes, and asks his friend to also hiding. put it in his movies. <laughs> he's actually not hiding a no, single thing. No, no. We're all um, well aware. My weird thing with him, though, in this movie, is... He's supposed to be brothers with George Clooney. Now, Which, that, that also probably plays into why he wanted to play this character. Probably, so that he could yeah. just like, you know, I'm uh, related to someone as hot as George I'm, Clooney. I'm related to George Clooney. Not only is there a little bit of a visual issue in, in Tarantino's <laughs> being related to George Clooney, there's also an acting quality situation going on as well because Tarantino in his little roles that he's had in, in his own movies and this to be fair is probably his biggest actual acting role right or at least the movie he's probably in the most yeah of, of all of his acting performances yeah I mean he, he gave himself a little monologue a little tough guy monologue in uh, Pulp Fiction but yeah I think that of course he did maybe <laughs> maybe the most. and then he and then he tried doing that ridiculous Australian accent in Django yes! Unchained which was just so terrible so bad Tarantino, Tarantino is a he he makes movies I very much enjoy Yes. He has always made movies I very much enjoy. I think he's a wonderful, wonderful uh, filmmaker, an homage filmmaker, a, a terribly stylish person, and a phenomenal yes. screenwriter. He's not a good actor. He's not a good actor. And, and when George Clooney, <laughs> he wants to be so bad. And when George Clooney in this movie, as weird, as wacky, as out there, as crazy as From Dust Till Dawn is, is still the constantly yeah. bringing a, a, a certain quality of genuine acting to it. Having him alongside Tarantino for a lot of it is just like, oh, here's someone who can act. And here's someone who's who's trying his darndest, isn't he? He's trying. He's giving it a good, honest try. But yeah, but it's not. Do we even care? And, 
because and it's I think... not a movie you even care about that sort of stuff about because it's just too crazy. That yeah, you just well, especially craziness, and you get all get the craziness. The you get all the craziness, and that's what you're looking for. That's yes. the only way I would have possibly been disappointed in seeing from Dust Till Dawn had it not been as insane as I was led to believe it was. Acting yeah. quality does not factor into the quality of this movie whatsoever. It's just a bit of something to laugh at. Yes, and I mean, this film takes a really interesting trajectory, how it starts and then how we get to the end. Um, they take that whole kind of first half, even more than half, to set up our characters and kind of get us living with them and understanding their conflicts and um, and then put throwing them in this insane situation. So I think that format, while, you know, kind of hearing it might sound like it doesn't work, but I think it works really well here that now you kind of know these characters pretty well. So when you see them in this insane situation, you kind of have an understanding of how they would deal with it. And you, you, despite kind of the dynamic that these characters have in their initial setup, you can understand uh, an interesting kind of coming together of the characters because of the situation and because of all the time they that they spent with each other and that we've spent with them getting to know them. So once they kind of ha are forced to kind of team up in a way, um, you're not, you know, you, you get it and it feels organic and it feels like it makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, look, there's plenty of movies in the past that have been siege movies, which is kind of what From Dust Till Dawn turns <laughs> into. Kind of, yeah. Um, just a, a vampire survival movie where they're all in one location, just trying to battle it out, trying to survive. Hordes of vampires yes. kind of coming at them. But Yes, you're right in saying to have all that set up for it to start and, you know, seemingly go through two acts of being a a crime chase. Yeah, a fugitive type situation, only for the kind of criminal to then team up and bond with his hostages. Well, yeah, but just together. for it to be a completely, a complete, switch up of genre yeah for it to be that g grimy road um nasty crime movie that it does start off as you know it's really quite brutal it's quite vulgar yeah. both Clooney and Tarantino are really you know that they're, they're they're really hot-headed they're not you know they're quick to shoot, they're quick to act violent, even though sometimes they don't want to, they will just do it if needed. They are on edge, they are agitated. They're threatening, yeah. They're incredibly threatening and incredibly horrible people. There's a yeah. little bit more charm and charisma to Clooney, naturally, as there would be, as there should be. That's the character of Seth compared to the creepier Richie. Yeah. Um, which, you know, he's played well enough by Tarantino in creepiness and um, maybe not in quality of acting, as we've spoken about already. 
but I found myself getting really, really into the 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 crime story of it all, the runaway, the getaway story of it yeah. all, which is ultimately what it is. It's the Gecko brothers running off to Mexico to meet with their safe house people, basically, because they've just committed this bank robbery yeah. in Texas. And we open the movie with with Michael Parks, uh, Texas Ranger Earl McGraw, who makes <laughs> returns in Kill Bill and in the Grindhouse movies, yeah. actually. Even though he dies at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Weird. Just resurrect him. Actually, no, he died at the beginning of this movie. Why does yeah. he return? Which movies before which movie? Hmm. We right. don't know. Continuity. Now. Yeah. Continuity <laughs> issues. You want to keep the same characters in your weird little shared universe you know, that you may have. Yeah. But you're not thinking about proper continuity. Yeah. You can't get away with that sort of stuff anymore. You might have done in the 2000s, but you can't get away with that sort of stuff anymore. Yeah. Um, but okay, it's nice to see him show up and, and yeah. be what he is in the, in, in the beginning. And he gives us a real good kind of subtle look at what the geckos have done. And you get that opening robbery and hostage situation there. Yeah, well, yeah, well, we do get that whole big, um, you know, John Hawks. I feel so bad for him. Um, yes. Because, yes, because we have Tarantino's character just kind of lying about him. To, to And he's just like, I never said that. I wasn't sending signals. And him just like, the fact that he's just getting so frustrated that not that, not only that like this hostage situation is kind of happening in his store and all of this, but just the fact that like, Tarantino is just lying on his name. He's getting so frustrated. <laughs> he is. Like, he doesn't even care that they're there. He just doesn't want to be thought of as a liar. Yeah, he's like, I did everything you asked. Like, stop saying I did that. I didn't do that. So I or love that, like, this escalated situation is literally kind of dumbed down to this one thing that Tarantino just keeps saying about him that is a lie. And that's what's pissing yeah. him off more than anything else. Yeah, it is quite. It it does have a real good humour to it, I think, a lot of the time as well, though. For as nasty as it is, and this is why it fits so well into the style of movie, it, it is ultimately homaging, which is a kind of 70s midnight movie driving vibe. Yes, which, especially which, at the end when things kind of go bonkers like that. Yeah, which is what it is, is what it wants to be homaging, and does very successfully homage that yeah. because it, it's melding of and Tarantino always does this so so well we know he always does this so so well he's meld real nasty crime stories with actual witty kind of humor yeah and it's 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 a real great blend I wasn't I don't know. I don't know why necessarily, but I wasn't necessarily expecting the same kind of humor I, I'm, I'm finding in a Pulp Fiction, in a Reservoir Dogs, in a Jackie Brown, even in a, in the later movies, you know, that are a little bit more particular genre focused. Your Inglorious Bastards, you know, and, and Django and Hateful Eight still have humor to them in their yeah. conversations still have a little bit of wittiness to them 
in their conversations. Um, but I think less so than the contemporary earlier movies that Tarantino made. Um, but I don't know why I maybe wasn't expecting that same level to be in From Dust Till Dawn, but I found it was there. So yes, I was quite happy yeah. about that. Um, yeah, I, I did forget that there was a fun little appearance from um, John Saxon. It was nice to kind of see him <laughs> pop there in is. there. The Sax man himself, you know, horror fans absolutely <laughs> love him. So I'm sorry, the Sax man. <laughs> the Sax man. Oh yeah. Why have I never heard of John Saxon <laughs> be referred to as the Sax man before? And absolutely, he should be. I want to say like I was watching a kill count and <laughs> James A. Janice like was, you know, because yeah, because like everyone talks about kind of like how like hot he is, like how good looking he is and all this kind of Do you thing. think John Saxon, I mean, I, I don't think John Saxon is not a, a handsome man. I think he is quite a, a no, handsome I think, man. In his I day. think amongst the horror community, he is, he is seen as kind of a, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. maybe... Maybe perhaps, and this this might be strange as well, but obviously, I think most notably, horror-wise, John Saxon is Nightmare on Elm Street. Of course he yes, is. Yes, yes. But I always, the first movie I always think of John Saxon in is is Enter the Dragon, which I, I, I don't think he's particularly kind of handsome looking in Enter the Dragon. <laughs> so. Yeah. You saying that has just made me go, wait, is John Saxon like, uh, okay, maybe if I think of all the movies with John yes, Saxon, yes, yeah, I, think I understand it a little bit more. Um, the Sax Man. Yes, it is nice to see a little cameo from him. I think the, the movie's kind of full of odd little cameos. Kelly Preston's in there as a news Yeah, as a news anchor, yeah. Um, and then, you know, he's very much like Tarantino, having his rotating regulars popping up here and there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Danny Trejo is one of his, even popping up um, as as Uncle Machete in the <laughs> in the uh, Spy Kids movies. Um, so, yes. <laughs> uh, and a very young Danny Trejo with short hair. We always know him to kind of to have his long flowing locks, so... Um, and and Salma Hayek obviously, you know, doing uh, Desperado with him and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, yeah, um, Tom Savini as well, and um, I believe that band is like a band that he knows. So you know, he he had them in it as well. So the yeah. band from the actual club, yeah, the yeah. band from the the TT Twister Bar itself. <laughs> yes, a name for a. I mean, yes. <laughs> I feel like as a location. I mean, we're we're not talking about the story of From Dusk Till Dawn <laughs> at all, are we? We're just mentioning strange things about. Well, it. no, you know, John Saxon kind of brought up the the cameos, so that led into that conversation. So you know, our our conversations said you know tend to meander and, and and move and flow. So you know, we we will circle back to the plot, but. Um, he's yes. the one with extended cameos because he plays three people. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, Cheech, I think, also pops up in the Spy Kids films as well. So one of his kind of you know frequent people he likes to work with. Um, they also like how Titty Twister is kind of set up as this almost oasis. It's like just there, like this big you know bright thing, and there's nothing else around it, like in the middle of the desert. 
Um, so I do like that kind of setup of it as that. The thing is, can you get away with putting such uh, lewd neon signage in public? Because it's still in public. It might be in the middle of nowhere, but it's still a public <laughs> place where, where mean, children go. Children go. Yeah, children they let those two teenage children into that bar, like when they, you know, with no qualms. So, uh, very interesting. Well, I guess they had to kind of beat up. <laughs> <laughs> to get in there. Did have but, uh, <laughs> and that didn't end well. That yes. really, that caused the, the uh, all along the, the, the heat. The yes. Um, which you know, Richie kind of is the one who can't control his urges, and so that kind of is also what gets them um in more and more trouble as they go along. Um, because yes, as we were talking about in the beginning in the um whole liquor store situation um you know they have hostages and they're trying to get rid of the sheriff character and john hawks is like you know they're arguing with him about how naturally he's acting if he's giving off signals um and richie just can't control himself and ultimately just shoots the sheriff in the back of the head and starts all this kind of chaos and shoots john hawks um which then kind of creates our opening chaos um, which like leads to this really crazy shootout. Um, and you know, John Hawks ultimately gets set on fire, which is crazy. Uh, he shoots yes. uh, Richie in the hand and it's this whole kind of thing. And then we get this setup that, um, Clooney, you know, his, his character was his name, Seth. Seth. Uh, yes. Um, is kind of the one who has to constantly wrangle Richie. Maybe he's potentially the older one. Um, but he puts up with all of his nonsense. And like, so that dynamic was just very frustrating. Like, I think that already, you know, even though they are both criminals doing these deplorable things, that in and of itself is enough to kind of make you uh, kind of lean towards potentially liking Seth, potentially liking Clooney's character, because you see what he has to deal with. You see that he doesn't really want to kill people if he doesn't have to. He wants to just manage situations through fear and then move on to the next thing, you know. But Richie is just about the chaos. Richie is about the, you know, masochistic kind of behavior and the, the killer kind of uh, kind of sick thoughts and and you know he doesn't care about human life or anything like that um so it's a very big frustration for seth when he constantly has to wrangle richie but because he's his brother you know he he kind of always forgives him in the end which is just such a frustrating cycle <laughs> um it reminds me of something like um the lost weekend just like dealing with someone who has this you know, yeah, I mean, that's this fair. broken in this broken mental state, and you know, there's nothing you can do about it. You can tell them, you can, you know, beat them out <laughs> that you can, uh, you know, beat it into their heads that what you're doing is wrong, like just stop, like you're making it more difficult for me, you're making it more difficult for us. And in the end, they're gonna keep doing what they're gonna do, and because you love them. You're going to put up with it. So I think that in and of itself, despite the kind of brutality of the two of them, because Seth is more, um, you know, humane in how he handles these situations, you're already kind of on his side more than Richie's. And you, you already feel for him in some way because he's kind of stuck with Richie causing all these issues for them. Um, yeah, which we see even, are. Which we see even further illustrated once they do 
get out of there and get to the hotel with their hostage. Seth goes out to get food, leaves Richie with the hostage, which is a woman, you know, quietly asks her to come sit next to him and watch TV. And when, <laughs> when Seth comes back with the food, I love how that whole scene plays out, by the way, that, you know, yes. he's having this conversation with, with Richie. It's just kind of like, this is our plan. We're going to do this and this and this. He gets a burger. He's for the hostage woman who's like a bank teller that they, they took. And Question. Told, Am I right in saying he gets a big kahuna burger? He, I do believe it is a big kahuna burger. Um, so yes. They oh, share. the subtle little hints. Yes. I wonder yes. what I wonder what brand of cigarettes <laughs> they smoke in this yeah. movie. It yes. wouldn't by any chance be red apple. Red apple, yes, team. probably, probably. Um, but I love how this scene plays out where Clooney's holding her burger and that's like that's when it hits him. Like, wait, where's the hostage? Where is she? Yes. Yeah, and crane little flashes as well. Yeah. So then Richie's like, oh, she's in there. And he's like, well, what's she doing in there? And he opens the door. And, you know, then we just get kind of these flashes of what the room looks like. And the kind of <laughs> color just seeping from Seth's face. And he's yes. like, what did you do? You. What did you do? And Richie's just casually eating his burger and just, oh, you know, oh, before before you say anything, it was her fault. And he's like, so then we already get this, you know, we already they've already set up Richie as a liar because he was telling all these lies on John Hawks, right? Um, and so him immediately and just so casually justifying why he did what he did. And, yeah. you know, Clooney scared this woman enough before he left to get burgers. Like, if you, these are your rules. If you, you know, don't do anything and, and you could get out of this alive. And so the lady's just sitting there quietly, you know. So you, you, they've already established that this woman was not going to, you know, in, in Seth's mind. You know, she's fine. She's not going to do anything to try to escape or cause any trouble. So he's not believing Richie at all when Richie's trying to like, hear me out. You know, she tried to reach for the gun. She tried to jump at me. She just changed to a whole different person right after you left. And Richie just casually trying to make these explanations. But Seth knows his brother. Seth knows how he, what he put in that woman's head before he left. And he, and he knows that Richie is a liar. So just because well, the, the man's unhinged. Yes. And he That's knows why. this about his brother. So uh, I just, I just hate Richie. I just hate Richie so much. You, like, you really do. <laughs> I do. Really do. I do. I do. We, 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 we do have to continually establish just the real horrible nature. I mean, as again, credit to Tarantino for, for embracing his own weirdness because he does continually acknowledge his own um, devious interests, feet, and other such things, um, etc. Um, but to just outright present, you know, say, I'm going to play this character. This is literally just a complete creep of a person. Yes. But I'm going to play him because I think that'll work. You know, he, this is what I said before. There's no hiding his own weirdness, his creepier side that he yeah. may have. Yeah. Um. I don't want to keep getting hung up on that. I hate the fact <laughs> that I'm hung up on that. Please talk about something else. Yes, um, no, but um, it's just, I love that, you know, how this scene is, is played out. So yes, you know, 
Seth opening this door, seeing just what Richie has done through these flashes. Um, and then, you know, he ultimately gets pissed off with Richie and is like, what did you do? What is wrong with you? And he explains, I am a thief. I am not a killer. I'm not trying to do any of these things. I'm trying to steal what we need to steal and keep it moving. Like the fact that you need to do things like this. And he also includes, you know, explains, you know, rape in there. So like we wouldn't have needed to yeah. know that. They didn't need to include that about what richie did to the body of this woman because then we ultimately kind of see it from the back from you know in the background you know I blood do, all over the walls yeah. i do enjoy how within the flashes that we get of the scene itself it takes us a reasonable length of time to even process what's happened properly and we never get a clear look at it we only yeah. ever get a background look at it. And I love that about it. We don't need the shock. Yes. We just need Seth's reaction. It. Yeah. Exactly. We just need to know the 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 the, the reactionary details. Exactly. Yes. And so, you know, and in, in, in the far off back when we see blood smeared on the wall, we see her body kind of covered with the pillow, so we don't even see her face. Um and Seth is pissed and yeah explains to him like why do you do this like you are sick you are disgusting like I'm I'm not trying to kill people like what is wrong with you you need to stop and like hitting you know pushing him against the wall getting mad at him um and then it only takes a matter of seconds and he's forgiving him and saying you know we'll be across the border you know we'll be safe we'll be sipping on margaritas and none of this will matter you know yeah, just always this and it feels like a conversation. It feels like a situation they've been in so many times, the way Clooney plays it. that The fact that he has to yell at him and hit him and push him and tell him, you are disgusting. You are sick. What is wrong with you? Like, you are screwing things up for us immensely. Like, why do you do this? What is wrong with you? And slaps him around. And then two seconds later, he's forgiving him and, and soothing him and hugging him. It, he, the way he plays it in this moment feels like he's done this dance with Richie a billion times. 100% it is an incredibly cyclical relationship. Yeah. We see it happen four times in this movie. I think we yeah. see it happen in the beginning liquor store situation and the, yeah. the, the robbery. We see it happen with this hostage woman that they got from the original bank robbery. Mm -hmm. um, she was like the bank teller. Um, yeah. They're they their hostage they took and you that. have to presume the body count that they built up in that see in that opening robbery that we didn't see is probably due to richie <laughs> well quite possibly and most likely yeah. um yes we envision that this has happened year for years and years and years within their relationship we also see it at the mexican border when they meet harvey Keitel and his nice family of children yeah um because Harvey Keitel's here doing his best cosplay of um, Richard Attenborough in Jurassic Park. <laughs> because I think he's dressed exactly the same as John Hammond. I mean, pretty similarly, yeah. <laughs> he looks like John Hammond. He just looks like an alternative universe John Hammond. Yeah, That's what he looks like. But also, I think it's movie. just a very nice thing of like, you know, I think you kind of have this image of him of being kind of this tough guy. So to kind of melt him down into this RV dad, you know, 
it really it really works. Like you see him as that. It does work. I whether I whether I view Harvey Keitel as a tough guy, I think I've I definitely view him as any any anybody on the spectrum of criminal. Yeah. In terms of his roles. He can be deeply sleazy in some of his roles, I think, and wonderfully so. Yet also he can bring a a um a Mr. White. Is he Mr. White? Is that the one he is in Reservoir Dogs? Um, and then, uh, Winston whoever Wolf. he plays in Reservoir Dogs, either Winston Wolf, of course, Pulp Fiction. Um, that that level of real, well dressed classiness, but you're definitely still a criminal yeah. um, mindset yeah. to proceedings. So yeah, I, I don't disagree. It was nice. So to he, see I him. do believe him. Yeah, and I do believe him as as RV dad. You know. Yeah, and former preacher RV dad. <laughs> it's it's great to see, but of course he and his his kids. Um, the daughter is Juliet Lewis. The son is Ernest Lou. Um, you know they run into <laughs> the geckos. Um. They're staying at the same motel. They're just they're just taking their RV down to Mexico. They just want to go and smack. They run into these two weirdos, yeah, um, who proceed to half take them hostage. But Seth's definitely trying to play. You know, here's another evidence. Here's another, or should I say, example? Yeah. Of the cycle of the relationship that Seth and Richie are going on, that we've just gone over, we don't need to do that again. But we're in a different, we're in, we're in the same, yeah, situation story, where situation, you know Seth has to wrangle Richie, yeah, group of and, people, and, yes, um, and At so yeah, I mean, and we get even this this more developed sense of who Richie is in terms of like this being just a mental thing with him that he's just kind of sick in the head because when they do kind of break into the motel room and, and take the family hostage, um, Juliette Lewis comes in from the pool and he's just staring at her because she's in a bikini and he hears her <laughs> ask him, you know, for some sexual deeds. Like he sees her turn to him and ask him, you know, to go down on her or whatever. And she's, and, and you know, she never said that, but that's what he hears. Um, to the point where he's even asking her about it later and she has no idea what he's talking about. So they do present, you know, Richie's, you know, insane way of thinking as, as, as definitely, you know, this mental thing that's happening to him, you know, he, he's just not yeah, right. Well, in the head. I, th I think, I think Kelly Preston, the news reporter does call him a sex offender. So yeah. it makes total sense because every bit of behavior we've seen from him. Yeah, yes. That relates to that, that he just hears things that people say that, you know, sexual things they want that they're just not actually saying. Um, so yes, they do ultimately take the the family hostage, and I do actually like that. <clears throat> you know, his son is an Asian, like looks Asian, and they, you know, George Clooney's trying to figure that out. Seth is like, you know, calling him a Jap and a Japanese, whatever, and he's like, no, he's Chinese, and they don't bother to explain if he's adopted or anything like that. Like I like that they don't 
go nice. into any Very. detail. It's just his son. So I, I like that, you know, they have that in the film that, you know, his son is played by an Asian actor, that his son is Asian, you know, looks Asian. But we don't really go into any explanation as to why, if he's adopted, if the mom was Asian, like anything. Like, we don't need any of that. It's not really important. It's just that's his son. So I like when we have kind of things like that, that, you know, maybe other characters don't understand and they have the characters, you know, call it out for the audience's sake. But when we don't really get an answer, like, I prefer that. Like, we don't really need to linger on that, you know? Well, no, no, we don't at all. It's treated very matter-of-factly. But this is the nature of this movie. If, you know, if you're getting hung up on that, what are you going to get hung up on in 20 minutes' time when everybody <laughs> yeah. in this bar? all yeah. of a sudden turns into a vampire like yeah. you're thinking about the wrong thing aren't you, you yes. you're going into you're watching this movie with the wrong mindset you need to watch this movie with this you know no holds barred anything goes kind of mindset yes, but I, I would also kind of love you know i am somebody who's very much you know always looking at casting and thinking like that you know and colorism and things like that so i would love to kind of understand like the casting of this actor if you know they just said well we're gonna cast somebody we think is best for the role and and you know it is what it is like we don't need to explain it that's just what this casting is gonna be so i would like like love to uh, like know kind of what the casting process was if it was kind of an intentional thing to just cast who they thought was best or you know give an asian actor just a role because he was best you know was good in that role and you know it's giving an asian actor a role you know i would love to kind of know you know what that I, yeah was. no i get i get the idea and perhaps i am just because i love that thinking love, about it you know <laughs> Yeah, but like I said, perhaps I am just thinking about it as matter of factly as the movie takes it. So yeah. I don't I'm not thinking any deeper than that. It is what it is and it is what it is. Yeah. You know, yes. so that's yeah. that's kind of where my head is at with that whole situation. Um regardless, you get the same it, it's such it, it's such a strange strangely structured movie really yeah and i do think it's a strangely structured movie i mean big picture wise yes it is one half of one movie and then one half of a totally different style of movie altogether but it does it does move in these circles in terms of everybody's relationship to everybody else who's who yeah. happens to be in the movie at that particular point all of course centered around the geckos who go along the same as we've mentioned relationship cycle four times throughout the course of the movie up until yeah. what happens to richie happens to richie at this mexican border richie gets fixated on a particular thing that seth said to him and he can't let it go and he makes a noise when they're getting searched um at the border and they're obviously trying to hide because obviously they don't want border control knowing they're there so yeah. it's supposed to just be harvey keitel and his son his two, and, his and his daughter and this ends yeah. up with um one of three characters cheech marin plays coming onto the the rv having a search around there's another creepy leering look at juliet lewis for no reason other than to just be weird in the movie um uh, uh, let's have another character be a creep why not yeah because the movie's full of creeps <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it just is. It just yeah. is. You can't get away from that. Um, 
character-wise, character-wise, we should specify character-wise. Yes. Um, but Richie again causes an issue that could have been totally avoided. And yes, okay, then they make it to Mexico. They make it to the bar where they're supposed to go. And what does Richie do when they're going into the bar? Yes, okay, Seth starts it by smacking the second character played by Cheech Marin in the movie right in the face as they just walk in. But yeah. then Richie has to come back and give him a bit more just to annoy yeah, so him, just... just to rub it in, just to kick yes. him while he's down. And he doesn't have to do that. And yeah. then there's fights that might start in the bar. And everybody's just a bit on edge. On edge. So, yes, there's the a whole situation that, you know, has Seth just in this very angry state that he's trying to, you know, control himself. He goes to the bar to get a drink and Danny trails the bartender and he won't serve him because he only serves truck drivers. <laughs> um, uh, truckers and bikers, I think, the only people. Yes, yes. Yes, so he refuses to serve George Clooney and uh, then a bouncer comes, this big guy, to remove him and they almost kind of get into a fight. You know, he's like, I'll give you to the count of three. And the bouncer counts one and Seth immediately counts two. And then here comes Harvey Keitel to try to defuse the situation. You know, maybe bringing in some of his, you know, preacher skills in terms of how to talk to yeah. people, how to, to make peace between people. And he ultimately says, you know, I drive this big RV, so I have the same license as a trucker. So essentially I'm a trucker and these are my friends. So please. And the fact that like, you know, despite Seth and what he did to him, you know, taking his family hostage, putting them in the situation, the fact that, you know, and, and part of Harvey Keitel's story is the fact that he was a preacher and very much in, in the vein of something like Signs, if you haven't seen this movie, you know, his wife dies and it causes him to kind of lose his belief in a higher power and things like that. Well, this, so, is a, this is such a very interesting concept to have in a vampire movie. And I understand we've barely talked about this movie in its vampiric sense, and this is a vampire movie series. <laughs> on yes. um, we must talk about that. Yes. Of course we must talk about that. We must talk about that. from. But now. there's so much character interest and setup that we get for so long of the movie before we even get to that. So Of course there is. Of course a lot to delve into there. Um, but yeah. the, 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 the point is... I love the fact that it's made so clear and is such an integral part of the that particular character within the movie that he has lost his faith because, of course, faith comes with battling vampires. Crucifixes come with battling vampires. Yeah. Vampires have always been very against christianity haven't they yeah. how do you beat vampires you shove a cross in the face does that happen in this movie of course it happens in this movie but from harry Keitel as a character as well he kind of becomes you know he, he we we meet him at a low point in his faith yet over the course of battling vampires he grows in faith again up until he gets mutilated as a vampire. Yeah. Um, but we see that from him, and I think that's kind of a really just interesting point. Yes, how this movie. Yes, how that and this actual, is the thing that would bring his faith back. Yeah. 
yeah, an actual almost uh, something you would expect in a more seriously taken vampire movie than yeah. this ends up being, because this is at the end of the day a nonsense movie, a yeah, movie that's just absolutely <laughs> insane. You don't need to think in any depth about this movie, yet it has the ability to bring some depth out of itself. And I think that is, is that is a testament. For it. Yes, and I think that is a testament to kind of how the movie started. I think that's maybe why they felt like they could get very silly with the vampire and the the fantastical side of the story by the end because it's a fantasy aspect whereas the whole beginning and the escape and the criminals on the run type part of the story is a more realistic story. So you want to take that more seriously. You want to really get deep with these characters. And then once you kind of get to the fantastical, unrealistic part of the story, you can really loosen up and have fun with it and then kind of see how your grounded characters deal with the the chaos and and, and fantastical nature of what's happening around them. So yes, um, Harvey Keitel's character kind of shows um, one of the first glimmers of his faith returning, I think without really maybe realizing it when he diffuses this fight between Seth and this bouncer and says, you know, I'm a truck driver. These are my friends. So please serve them. And he completely um, clears up the situation. They get their drinks. They sit down, but Seth is just still kind of seething on the situation still controlling himself and stopping himself from really like killing this part that this bartender and this bouncer yeah but it speaks to that that you spoke about before the ability for seth to actually develop somewhat of a rapport even with these hostages like yeah because at the beginning yeah like he's not a complete maniac and that is so key to what you get in the craziness, craziness of the action sense of the movie that we get right now. Because yes, yeah. without that, none of it works. None of the coming together works. None of the, you know, it's just random people in a in a place trying to fight. Why are they all together? Why are they even working together? You understand why? Why should we care? Yeah. You understand why due to all this, and it is those little, little indications that you yes, do throughout from you know, Seth. That yes, because when they're driving, yeah, out. when they're driving to the border, Seth is asking him all these questions. I think his name's Joseph. Um, he's asking him Jacob, all these questions. Jacob, Jacob. Um, he's asking him all these questions about, you know, his wife and her passing and um, but you know, Jacob is frustrated and like really doesn't want to talk to him because he has him in this situation. But the fact that Seth is even making this effort that like we're gonna be stuck together, so we might as well try to have this conversation. Um yeah. so yeah, that plays into kind of what happens later. So once they're all sat there, Seth it kind of doesn't want to drink alone, so he has them all drink with him, even the children, and it's this whole kind of crazy situation. Um llamas. Uh, yes. And then we get our, you know, grand performance happen. Uh, well, as... <laughs> here is where the movie changes. Yes, in its as entirety. As, yes. Well, as soon as they get to this bar, you know, there's topless dancing girls all around. Uh, it's very wild and crazy. The band's popping off. We're meeting eccentric characters. We have uh, this character, Frost, um, 
this black guy with a cigar just you know <laughs> being the coolest yes. guy we have tom uh, savini football player fred williamson yes yes crossed. yes and huge then we have man huge hulking He's huge man. yes yes he's the muscle of the rest of the fight of the movie yes um and then we have tom savini uh he uh, it plays sex machine he has like a gun strapped to his uh, you know man area so a when the, it, yes it, he does it, it, that is also in the shape of a penis yes yes i'd is. like to point out um and also so, i believe didn't actually was a character that if i if i'm reading this right was a character that actually wasn't a from dusk till dawn original he was in a previous Robert Rodriguez thing. I think so. Yeah, I want to say they were like friends and knew each other, and he just threw them him in this movie. But I, I'm not. No, I don't mean like Tom Savini. I mean the character of Sex Machine with the penis gun. <laughs> oh, like I think uh, it was in Desperado. Oh, yes, I think so. I haven't watched Desperado in a really long time. Um. But I feel like maybe that's maybe that's true. I don't I feel remember. Like that is true. I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, but maybe. But it's right. weird. But I like that because. But I like no, that's what that's what I'm saying. Like he does that. It would make sense that he because he does that. Like I'm saying, we have, you know, Danny Trejo as Machete, but then he's yeah. like, he's still Machete in the Spy Kids movies, but he's Uncle Machete, and he's the same yeah. character. So very much something he would do. So I I, I don't think that's like a far-fetched thing to to suggest that that, that is true. Um, I just like how we get Tom Savini having like a fully-fledged role here. Yes, like, but that's Savini what I'm saying. Famously, Tom Savini famously plays a, a biker zombie in Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. I don't actually know, and maybe I'm misremembering this. Is he or is he not the biker zombie who gets decapitated in Dawn of the Dead? I'm not 100% sure on that. Maybe I, I am remembering two separate things as well. Yes, he, he is definitely a horror icon. So loving him in this movie. I mean, he was the he was the uh, the hands of, of Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Voorhees. Um, he, he's an effects <laughs> legend. He Yes, is, which he, is funny because staple. his scene... His scene where he does threaten somebody with his crotch gun is another now kind of makeup legend in his own right, Greg Nicotero, um, with yes. very long flowing locks. Um, I think they're like K and B effects. Um, yeah, he's the one who he kind of shoes away with his with his crotch gun. Another yeah. very well known makeup artist. He did all the makeup for The Walking Dead, amongst other things. But um, yeah, so I thought that was kind of funny. But I, you know, the fact that these characters are introduced so late, especially in this crazy part of the film, you really already like them because they are jam-packed with personality. Like they're somewhat caricatures, so they really fit into the kind of cartoonish finale. And they feel also kind of grounded enough that they meld with our truly grounded real kind of world characters it's like real world and fantasy world coming together these two characters are almost a part of this fantasy world and they're kind of this bridge between you know this finale and the, the first half of the film these two characters so when they all come together it's still believable and you know even though these characters were only with them for a short time and they only kind of become this team unit with our known characters for such a short time because they have so much personality you really 
enjoy them. So I love yeah. the Frost character and Sex Machine and the whole kind of thing that happens when it kind of the ending happens. So yeah, Salma Hayek coming out is when things take the shift. She does the sexy dance with the snake and, you know, she's sticking her feet in, in, in Richie's mouth and that whole scene. And that's, and that's even that's become a, a, a meme uh, or a memeable moment, hasn't it? Oh, Tarantino writes this movie. I love, I'm Tarantino. I love feet. Let's get <laughs> literally one of the sexiest women of the era. To, and to probably her... still, even yes. now, Salma Hayek, to be fair to her. Yeah, she like, looks exactly the same. What aged like fine wine has Miss yes. Hayek. So yes. there we go with that. But I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write this scene. The scene where she is to and, put and her I'm feet gonna, in my mouth. put feet in Richie's mouth and then... Oh, yes, Robert, can I play Richie? I'll play Richie, Robert. Yes, you know he I'll wrote this before Richie. any talk of Richie's casting was set, full well knowing that he was going to ask to play Richie. I can S only sitting imagine. Sitting there with a big smile on his face going, I have an idea. <laughs> yes. I have a thought. Yeah. And, I mean, come on. Yikes. Yikes. If I look, if I was into feet, I'm not. I'm not a feet person. Let's just put that out there for everybody to hear. <laughs> I'm not a feet person. However, I would. I think I would. I would very much enjoy Salma Hayek doing what 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 she did. She's gorgeous. Movie. I mean, she is absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> um, I think even with the snake, which apparently terrified Salma Hayek. Salma yes, Hayek but she. Snakes. But she did it. She 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 was a baller. So you know, all things are kind of seemingly going well. Um, then, a, I think Cheech Marin's doorman character comes back in, yes. trying to throw them out again. Says how they beat him up. Um, the bouncer comes back and like, yeah, this whole kind of fight ensues between all of them. Um, they're hassling Richie, and then a big fight breaks out. Um, Danny Trejo. Um, stabs Richie through the hand um, then I think one of those guys gets stabbed and you notice that there's like greenish blood on the knife so then you're kind of wondering what's going on um, so as this kind of whole thing's going down um, Richie's hand is like bleeding all over the place and then you see Salma Hayek kind of looking at it and and kind of getting more intense and then she morphs into a vampire and all is revealed yes. and as we see the bouncer and everyone who works at the titty twister they all start transforming into vampires and a whole thing breaks out richie is bitten um and yeah a whole kind of vampire outbreak happens and they realize what's going on and this isn't known to any of the patrons of the bar no no this is just the workers who are there who are this, are this all of a sudden huge coven of vampires? And I love the the kind of somewhat subtle, but because I, I can imagine obviously me knowing this movie, yes, okay, I hadn't seen the movie, but I knew this movie. We're, there's a reason we're doing it for the vampire movies yeah. series. It's a it turns into a vampire movie. I was well aware it turned into a vampire movie, but you can imagine people who maybe didn't know it was turning into a vampire movie. And then you get all of a sudden this. It does. I mean, it feels like it hits you like a ton of bricks, 
But yeah. in that kind of minute period, there's just small indications like Sama Hayek is just fixated on Richie's hand bleeding profusely. Mm-hmm. And you just get a certain focus shot of her just staring at it. You think, what's going on here? Why is this blood from this other guy green? Like, yeah. there's some really... Is this... What is happening? And then you get, you know, somebody... I forget what the quote is now, but Sama Hayek says something, turn, you know, flips her head up, turns into something that looks like it's half out of Roald Dahl's The Witches and half out of a vampire, or half out of the ocean as well. Yeah. They're quite fishy-looking vampires. Yeah, like reptilian. Yeah. I don't adore the actual look of the vampires in this movie, I must admit. Okay, okay. Um, like, the, I, the lumpy faces. and Yeah, just yeah. the actual visual of them. I love the fact they're here in this weird dive bar clearly luring truckers and bikers there. And, have and the... hence the title of the movie you see on the marquee, it says Dusk Till Dawn, because, you know, they got to close by dawn because that's when yeah. the sun comes up. Yeah. But I love even just to jump right ahead, the very final shot of this movie is our first look at just how big the land around the Titty Twister bar is. Because yeah. you get kind of the back of it, and it's this whole pyramid structure. Oh, yeah. right down into the earth, comes out into this big crater, and it's just full of trucks and, you know, trailers and bikes and seemingly yeah. decades and decades and decades of worth of stuff. Of bodies and people who, that you, you just, know. Yeah, that you just realize this has been, this is a real, or has been a real thriving Cover yeah. of vampires, yeah. and I kind of I, I love that little bit of extra world building surrounding. Yes. You can imagine kind of... the wood. The could be a somewhat prequel situation. I believe there was a TV series actually from Dust to Dawn TV series. I don't know anything about that, but I could envision there being a prequel situation where you get kind of the first people who set, the first vampires, I should say, who set up the Titty Twister and what happened with those guys. Yes, and the fact that, and then you kind of get taken back at the idea of them only serving truckers and bikers, because these are potentially people who don't have families who are constantly on the road and wouldn't be missed. So it's perfect. Mm. It's it's such a this is what I this is what I mean when I say I really like the vampires in this movie. I just don't like them visually. I think they just look visually it's not my favorite visual style of vampire, should we say? Yeah, I am kind of a lumpy face. Yeah, like I've been rewatching Buffy and like your vampires look fairly normal as as when they're kind of in their human state. And when they turn into vampires, they get that kind of lumpy kind of you know, big wide nose and and big yeah. forehead and growly eyebrow kind of thing. Um, it's like um, into that. it's it's a bit like Fright Night. Like yeah. Fright Night. I don't mm-hmm. love the actual visual of the the way the vampires look. I think I might just be more classical in my kind. Yes, of you just like them still vampires. still appearing fairly sexy, just with teeth. 
<laughs> just kind of yeah <laughs> yeah kind no, i think i think i prefer that as well um, um i did want to bring this up just before i i forget is um sama hayek's name in this movie is satanico pandemonium okay which is the name of a mexican horror movie from the ah. 70s by the way okay well they had fun fun with that one for sure um i also kind of just love you know the bonkersness of this whole thing it turns into this battle royale with all the the you know dancers and um, bar people and then even pe patrons who have been now turned um which they also kind of treat the turning very much like a zombie type effect as well um in, in a lot of cases and then kind of we flash to the band and like his guitar is now like a human body that he's just playing it's a guitar and the head's just like flopping around on this like torso that he's using as a guitar now and they constantly flash to the band <laughs> they're all vampires and yeah literally for the rest of the movie we take none of it seriously no um so yeah again it's like this battle royale like i said just all of the, our surviving patrons killing vampires people getting killed so then we have frost and sex machine you know just looking so badass killing vampires a yeah. table is turned over so the four legs of the table and we see frost just smash four vampire women into each leg of the staking them with each yeah. leg of the, of the table just slamming each one of them onto and then you pan up and you see just the four bodies on the legs of the chair um and, and so yeah we just see kind of these two badasses running around killing vampires we see our family kind of fighting to survive and um seth as well um and so then they all kind of have to work together. So I love this little team up kind of moment of all of them trying to work together to to fight off these vampires. Yeah. And obviously it's, you know, a case of kind of one by one. They each get turned until you're left with ultimately two survivors at the end. Um, well, yes. Um, so then, you know, we lose, you know, we lose um, Tom Savini. He ultimately gets bitten and he tries to hide it for as long as possible so like, that's one of those moments where you feel like they're treating it very much like a zombie like if as soon as you get yes. bitten you're gonna turn so yeah. um which i think vampires are definitely one of those fun monsters that you can you know you can pick and choose what kind of elements you want to contribute to your to your vampires and it's always fun to change up the lore of how they operate and what affects them and what doesn't affect them um you can so, to an extent i mean as long yeah. as you keep the core nature of them really i think bloodlust as long as bloodlust is there and there's fang yeah. it, may, it doesn't even have to be fangs involved you look at bella lugosi's dracula um, which we of course will be looking at later on um in this yes. month on the main show in in great lovely detail there's no fangs yeah there's no fangs in the movie so all you really need is 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 bloodlust i, I don't really think in twilight either they have fangs there is the blood do you not have fangs in twilight i don't think they do there's definite bloodlust in twilight yes yes um that's that's kind of all you need you are right in saying you can mix and match with certain lore elements because so many of the lore elements of vampires are obviously very well known yeah to everybody that as long as as long as you put a certain amount of them in the same place everybody will recognize ah yes vampires that's what we're dealing with yeah. so 
yeah. There's there is a, more of a, a zombification about yes. Them, so very much, you know. There's also a strange thing that happens to Tom Savini after he turns into an actual vampire. He gets killed again and then turns into like a rat dog thing. What's yeah. that about? Yeah. Where did the rat dog thing come from? Who knows know. where the rat dog thing came from? It looks like the dog thing creature from the thing. That's what it looks like. Yeah. So yeah, I, I wasn't that sure. was the best fit. That was the best vampire visual in the movie. <laughs> when, when it looked a little so, bit so I'm just kind of led to believe like they all maybe look a little bit different or something, you know, in in terms of the transformation process. But um, yeah, he yeah. ultimately changes. Frost gets bitten, so now he's like this big buff vampire that they kind of have to fight against. Um, all all while this is uh, after they've kind of gained ground and killed all the vampires that are there, you actually hear like a whole flood of bats flying outside. Of, of the twi titty twisters so they've kind of tried to barricade the door so they don't come in because that's just more vampires to kill um they go through like staking the bodies of anyone who could potentially change and that's when seth has this moment with richie and richie does come back as well and so he kind of has to to ultimately take out his brother and i yeah, love what he says that, as well when he kills that, him it feels like such a hard moment Right? There's yeah, because Tom Zavini is about to Sex Machine is about to just go and kill Richie, and and he he's stopped by Seth. So it's like, no, if you touch him, like I'll kill you. Um, so you have this moment where you feel like it's going to be one of those situations that you do get also in like a zombie movie, where the person refuses to believe that, <laughs> that the person they love has changed, and so they're just kind of keeping them alive. Um, I'm thinking to like Mackay Pfeiffer in, in Dawn of the Dead, the, the remake, where he you know, yeah, keeps you're, his you're not pregnant wrong. girlfriend and his baby like chained up because he doesn't want to get rid of them. So you think maybe, oh, Seth really gonna like, he, we've seen him. We've seen this cycle. They've set it up so well at this point. Is he really going to protect Richie even in as a vampire? <laughs> like, please, Seth, come on, don't do it. And ultimately, no, he doesn't. He he. It's like he just needs to be the one to do it. And so I love that he says, you know, I hope I can give you the peace in death that I couldn't give you in life. Um, it's a good line. Effect. Yeah, yeah. It's, and he ultimately it's a good line. Lets lets Richie go. Yeah. And I like the fact he he feels he has to be the one to kill him. Yeah. And and in the midst of the craziness that we're now dealing with, are one or two moments of actual meaningful emotion this being one of them and there's a a conversation between Harvey Keitel and his children of um if i get turned you have to swear to kill me because it's no longer me and it's yeah. kind of an extended little scene where the kids are like yeah okay we'll do it it's like i don't believe you swear properly swear to god you will do it. And he's kind of really just yeah. making wobbly, doubly, triply, quadruply sure yeah, that they will do, will do this. Again, genuine kind of little moment of emotion. Harvey Keitel then does turn yeah. and, you know, there's a little bit of a struggle to yes, ultimately to do it. 
dispose of him. Yes, which be I mean, before this, you know, he does get bitten and then they ultimately find a place to hide out and they find all of these supplies that these these vampires have taken from all the patrons over the years. So they ultimately find weapons to to fight the vampires that are trying to break in. Um, so they all kind of get their little weapon and we have our little kind of ultimate team moment. So, yeah. um, you know, the son has a squirt gun with, with water that that uh, Jacob is blessed. Holy. So it's holy, holy. water. Um, and uh, Juliet Lewis finds a crossbow and <laughs> George Clooney, he has um, uh, 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 like, I don't know, some kind of like drill that he like puts a stake in. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a giant stake in and uh jacob ends up having like a, a baseball bat and a rifle and he kind of like hooks them together so they make a cross and so i love yeah. that he like made this crucifix out of these two weapons and so then they kind of go out through this hallway and so then you know before they're about to walk out to all these vampires that's when he makes them promise and so they kind of fight their way through with their, you know, makeshift weapons, which is kind of another cool kind of fight moment. Um, and then ultimately that's when he does turn and there's that hesitation and and all of that. I also do like how uh, Tom Savini makes a little Peter Cushing reference in the movie when they're talking about, um, oh, there's vampires now. Okay, what what do we remember from vampires? Yes, um, that whole conversation. What, what do we have to do? What do we have to do with vampires? Crosses. They don't like crosses. Um, do we? Does anybody have a cross? Like, no, no, nobody has a cross. Wait a minute. There's so many. We can make so many crosses everywhere. Um, yeah. Stick two pieces of wood together. Peter Cushing does that all the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like the sun says. Yes. Which you know, when they do come out, the sun he also gets gets killed as well. So. so. Um, Yes, yes. So ultimately, after this whole kind of thing happens, um, Juliet Lewis and Seth—they're the only two standing—and um, they do are able to kind of break enough holes in in as well, letting sunlight in, killing kind of all the vampires that are left. Yeah, um, and they ultimately it's escape. It. Yes, and this is when uh, Cheech Marin's now third character who. <laughs> was the man who was supposed to do the whole rendezvous with him and with his Seth and Richie finally shows up because he's the one who picked this place. And they're like, why would you pick this place to meet? He's like, Oh, that's a bar. A bar's a bar. Like I, I didn't know. And he's like, her whole family's dead. Like what is wrong with you? Yeah. Cloody's furious at this point. He's like, yeah. look at this place pointing behind him. Look at this place. We have had to burn this place to the ground. <laughs> One yeah. place is as good as any, Seth. No, it isn't. What <laughs> yeah. the hell did you bring us here for? <laughs> Everybody's dead and it's your fault. Yeah. yeah. Her family's dead. Richie's dead. I'm on my own. And then they, 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 they have to barter. They haggle because there's some sort of protective safe house situation um, where... Cheech Marin's third character gets 30% of every robbery they do or something like that. In in because you've caused so much so much problems for us, so many problems for us, Cheech Marin's third character, who I completely forget the name of Carlos, he might be called. Um I would like to downgrade your payment to to 15%. Is that all you want? 
Is that all you want, Clooney? And then yeah. you end up heckling for 25%. Yeah. Well, just, okay, everybody's dead. You've, you've caused us to have a night of hell in a vampire coven. And it's been just uh, truly the world's worst experience. But, it, but it's okay. Just lower your tariff by 5%. Yeah. What a stupid way to end the movie. But, I mean, a stupidly good way to end the movie. Yes, yes. A, a, an understandably stupid way to end the movie. Because it's a, it's a, it's a nonsense movie. I had yeah. a lot of fun with it. I really yeah, did. yes. A definitely different type of, of kind of um, flow of, of storytelling in terms of it being somewhat disjointed, but still coming together very well i think yeah it's really it's really good there's a lot of fun references in there a lot of fun cameos like we said it's nice to see some of these people show up and have you know the effect on this movie that they do have yeah um great humor in there wonderful action in there i mean it's not quite as gory as i think i would want it to be mainly this is probably due to the fact that the blood is green of the vampires yeah um which is perhaps a censorship thing i don't think it was a very expensive movie either was it so they really do a good job of using the effects budget really well because the effects are, are pretty damn good you know, it's not my fault that I don't, or it is my fault, I should say. It's not the movie's fault that I don't like the visual look of the vampires themselves. Yeah, but generally, I think it's good makeup. I think it's good. Like it look, it's good the makeup. Practical, the practical stuff looks pretty good as well. So yeah, yeah, it's really good makeup. It's just I don't think that's what a vampire should look like. Yeah, I enjoyed From Dust Till Dawn a great deal, Janine. Yay! I really, really did. Well, there we go for this episode of Morgan Hasn't Seen. I do think, what do we have coming up next week? <sighs> it's the I big do ones. believe. I mean, it's I the I say it's the big ones now. They're all big. Yes. Um. So this is a Janine Hasn't Seen as well. So we're going to be talking about Near Dark next week. Yes. Yeah. We will. <laughs> Near Dark. Catherine Bigelow is Near Dark. Yeah. I, I believe, isn't this like a cowboy, like Western vampire movie? Western vampires. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for Near Dark. I'm very excited for Near Dark. Yeah. I very much am. The vampiric stuff continues well on Morgan Hasn't Seen. And of course, on It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show as well. Find It's a Wonderful Podcast on all major podcast platforms. That is the podcast network you are listening to at the very moment. We spoke about the Patreon before. You can also find the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel. Subscribe, ding your notification bells over there for all the fun stuff we have up on the YouTube channel as well. And you can also find the show on Twitter. At It's a Wonderful One. You can find me on Twitter at the Purple Don with a three instead of the E and the because, Janine. Three is the magic number. 
on Instagram and TikTok at the Purple Don. All your I can't say that. I can't say that. I'm gonna say all your titty twisting is where <laughs> all my titty twisting loving stuff is. <laughs> Janine Devine <laughs> underscore on Twitter. Janine Devine on Instagram, TikTok, and Threads. Uh, if you want to get any merch for any of our shows, just check the description for the link or <laughs> search. Uh, it's a wonderful podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of my art and print form, you can find that in my big cartel shop at g9design.bigcartel.com. I'd like to clarify, Janine does not do that sort of content. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> No, I do not. You will not, not find something. any titty twisting on my platforms. I'm sorry. <laughs> Nor will you find any feet pics. So, sorry to Tarantino like minded folks uh, <laughs> as well. <laughs> what a shame for everyone. What a shame. Well, there we go. There is only one thing left to do, Janine. And, well, hmm, impressions? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. Do whatever you want. Do some sort of creepy Tarantino impression if you want. <laughs> uh, three, two, one. <laughs> Bye. Bye.